What up, what up? This is your boy Carl Cherry. I'm here with Trent Clark and John Tanners, and this is the Rap Pack. Guys, how you guys doing? What's going on, my good sir? Good, good, good. All right, so here's what I want to do this episode, episode five. I want us to revisit a few of the topics that we've been talking about for a while in passing these past few weeks. Um, But first, before we go there, uh, I want us to discuss some of the feedback we've gotten from previous episodes. There's two topics in particular that have had people talking. The first one is the three album run. When Russ was here as a guest, uh, we discussed the rappers who have had the best three album stretch, three consecutive albums that are that are critically acclaimed, arguable classics. And I think the names that came up were Kanye West, Outkast, A Tribe Called Quest, Tupac, Eminem, even though uh, Trent doesn't like the Slim Shady LP. Nope. Uh, that, w- that was a hit uh, online. People thought you were nuts. Nope. Uh, but in, in posting that, um, that clip and releasing that episode, I think there's a lot of names that people brought up that made no sense and made me think, like, <laughs> you guys are not paying attention. And then there's other names that made me go, like, damn, we should have thought this through. Yeah. Um, John, I know you in particular were wanting to, like, bring this back up and, like, amend the conversation. Well, I there was just, you know, it, it just so happened a couple of days after the podcast, I was listening to another podcast where um, it was a, a Vinyl Me Please podcast uh, with LP being interviewed about the re-release of his album, uh, I'll Sleep When You're Dead. And um, he brought up EPMD with a kind of, the you know, the, the first four albums of their career. And then I started thinking about, well, you know, did we, did we give a little uh, too much weight to things that happened after the 80s and going into the 90s and 2000s, which I know is ironic since I've outed myself as an 80s hater. But, um, I, you know, <laughs> I, I thought about Public Enemy. I thought about Eric B. and Rakim. But De La was one that I know that we were debating in text because we couldn't necessarily agree. I mean, I love Balloon Mind State. I think that that's a, a, a questionable album for some people. Um, you could you could argue if you do include Balloon Mind State in that run that they actually had four incredible uh, consecutive albums. But I think that that was where that was a place where we all could not necessarily agree on how far back to go with some of this and which albums qualified. This is a, a great instance where I like to point that you're o- some people just overrate certain albums. You know, the 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 question was three consecutive classics you know so if there's an album that dwarfs uh you know the the successor then that person is disqualified you know like i was who was it uh dante ross on twitter talking about the beastie boys yeah beastie boys had uh beastie boys had two home runs in a row and then they hit a triple you know maybe even a double well check your head um you know, it's a it's check your head is not revered as license is the same as license to ill or even Paul's boutique on a hip hop level. You know, I mean, they, they the beasties have incredible discography, but you know, hitting that that trifecta, you know, Ice Cube didn't even do it. You know, Ice Cube had two of the greatest mm. albums all all time, but then but then okay, but you know, you have an album that I would give six mics in death certificate, but then you follow up with uh, the Predator. 
you know, that's not, it's not it, that, that disqualifies. That's not the same uh, standard. You know, that's just not the same amount of quality. You know, so it, this is a very, very hard category. And, you know, it's only the select few that have it. You know, and I think um, I think the one that we're really sweeping under the rug is Tupac. You know, Tupac is the one that probably has the strongest uh, you know, three album run because well, well, no, no, wait, 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 wait. You mentioned Tupac. We're we're really mentioning like the the folks that didn't make the conversation and that right, you right. Know, the Daylights, like you know, uh, EPMD. Like you mentioned Tupac. Okay, um, but that's another EPMD. They're another one. You know, strictly business is you know considered you know uh, a hands down top bottom innovative album, especially the way they. They chopped up the same sample. You know, I think they used Jungle Boogie like three times uh, for three different records and make three different sounds. It's incredible. But, you know, the succession, you know, EPMD kept thriving and hip hop kept, kept getting bigger. But that doesn't mean, you know, all the other businesses. Um, I can't think of the name with the one with, uh, with headbangers on it, the one with the police tape. Uh, you know, that's that's nowhere near on the on the same level as uh, unfinished business or strictly business. You know, it. It's it's a hard category, right? Who who hates the eighties now? Um, <laughs> well, I guess I guess the other thing is I just my only thing about your point about you know uh, success of classics is like does it does that necessarily mean that everything has to get better album over album? Because I think you can put out three. Like I would argue that you know the I'm not saying better. You got to be the same. Mm. Same, at least the same level. Nah, they, they, comparable, but there could be a range. Like I, I think, I think there could be a dip as long as it's yeah. debatable. Like Ghostface, for example, right? Bulletproof Wallet. That's debatable, right? That's it's debatable. But but, but but I wouldn't say the Predator is debatable. Uh, we don't have time for that. <laughs> There's a lot to cover, so I want to move on, and I don't want to spend too much time on the following topic because, <laughs> like, I just, I just still can't get over the fact that you won't back down on this. Uh, another topic that was a hit in terms of people thinking Trent lost his mind was the fact that you think the album about nothing from Wale is better than Kendrick Lamar's uh, To Pimp a Butterfly. I just want to, there's just one thing I want to discuss here specifically because you're not going to back down. Right. One of your arguments was that the only standard on an album is all right and it was created by Pharrell. What do you mean he produced it, but you can't say it was created by Pharrell as if Kendrick doesn't deserve any of the credit? No, I'm not. No, I, I none of those songs. You know, I mean, that's that's all Kendrick's vision. You know, I'm just like the execution on the the album about nothing. And then you know, everybody was just oh Kendrick, Kendrick, Kendrick. I mean, I'm I'm wondering how many actually actually listen to the album or even revisit it. You know, like uh, John doesn't agree with me, but he definitely uh, agreed that the album about nothing was was a lot doper than he remembered. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. So you know, like I I just heard. I heard the album from a, a a completely different vantage point when it came out, and the album about nothing spoke to me. And I am not the biggest Wale fan, you know. I don't I don't really, uh, you know, revere his catalog above uh, any uh, a lot of his peers, including Kendrick Lamar. But you know, this particular album, you know, he just I feel like he just he just nailed exactly what he wanted to do in the studio. Okay. Drake recently posted a script uh, for an episode of Top Boy's second season on Instagram. And uh, a couple of days later, 
he posted a picture of himself and his manager, Future the Prince, at what appears to be a table reading for Top Boy. There's been a lot of talk about Drake as an executive producer, a behind the scenes Top Boy. Euphoria was uh, a success. And there's chatter that there's more to come. But Drake, who we first knew as an actor in Degrassi, has yet to step back in front of the camera with his newfound stardom. You know, that's been part of the formula for so long now in hip hop, like since the 90s, that you reach a certain level of success as an artist. And if you have the skill set, you start juggling both. But aside from like a cameo in Anchorman 2 and Think Like a Man, Drake hasn't really done anything. Uh, Even Kendrick uh, had this whole role like in the Power episode. So, in you guys' opinion, like, why hasn't Drake gone back to acting yet? Well, I think one thing that uh, might put a damper on the the table read aspect is that we're probably not going into production on anything for the next six to eighteen <laughs> months. So that might that might delay things for a little bit. But you know, I think that there's always been a a stigma around the the idea of someone who raps and makes music at the same time. I mean, Will Smith is the only person who I can think of off the top of my head who's really been able to balance it, uh, you know, and be a star in both realms. And and even he, I don't think, was an artist that was as commercially relevant in music as as Drake has become and is also culturally relevant as Drake is. You know, if you look at at someone like Ludacris or like, I just watched Dolomite is my name the other night and, and saw T.I. in it and T.I. was great. But yeah. I think that, you know, we're, when you look at artists like that, they've reached a point in their careers where their commercial relevance has waned, but they're still super charismatic. They're incredibly talented. They are, you know, they're able to exist in realms where, whether it's on television or whether it's in films, like they, you know, they're able to trade on that personality and, and often surprise audiences with you know how how talented they are i mean i I was blown away i didn't even recognize ti at first and i was like holy shit i think that for for someone like drake it's cool to make cameos it's cool to host snl but doing more than that might dilute how seriously people take your music so i imagine for someone that's as aware of his brand as drake is that that calculation comes into his head yeah uh you know, you know that, and I, and I, I'll just add that I just respect it. You know, like he's um, he he just outpaces everybody in the rap game and R and B game. You know, he doesn't sidetrack himself with a bunch of projects. Um, you know, because he's so successful and so focused on the music. You know, like the last couple freestyles. You know, that's that. You know, that's just a sprinkling of his talent. You know, he's he's very consistent. Uh, you know, with the Lucy game and. You know, like if he was off in New Zealand for three months shooting and it might take his focus off. Um, I, I dare even say his focus is off during the whole uh, Quentin Miller situation. You know, I have to go back and see exactly what he was doing. Then. But, you know, like, you know, ever since then, he's been back on the ball, uh, locked in the studio. So that's that's what that's when the great music happens. Yeah, I think I think the focus point is a fair one. I, I definitely think that if you look back at uh rappers that started making the transition to music as they started juggling both the music started suffering 
Mm -hmm. uh, but to go back to something that John said specifically in terms of people taking his music seriously, I think he's he's made, I mean, there's always going to be some level of criticism, right? I think people just like to poke fun, not fun, but like he he's just an easy mark for a lot of people. So I think that no, no matter what he does, he'll always get a little bit of backlash on what he does. But I think he's he's made so many contributions that I think at this point, it's too late. His music will always be taken seriously. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just think that because his skill set is so vast, we're missing out on like cultural moments on the other side. Like, it, I, I know this is like the easy one, but the layup, but I've been saying for a while, like, yo, give me the Drake rom-com. Like, just give me the Drake rom-com, uh, have the soundtrack be executive produced by you with like a number of songs. Like, it's not just you, it's just you and some of your friends or whatever. That's a layup. You don't think that shit would be a blockbuster? Like the right script, the right love interest, the right director? That would be another cultural moment. I don't want the Drake rom-com. Maybe it's just me. Maybe like, you know, you, you could keep serving us up with, with the hits. That's fine. I think he can do it. Okay, so in our first episode, I described the term that I call whacknificent uh, or also excellent trash. Uh, which is a term that describes something that it's so good, uh, so bad that it's good, right? And we identified examples. We had, uh, we talked about Fetty Wap, Trap Queen, Shad Glizzy's awesome, OG uh, Mako's, uh, you guessed it. Um, and we we identified I Love McConan's Tuesday as the holy grail of excellent trash. Um, so, after, <laughs> right? Uh, those were John's words, actually, so credit to him. But, um... A couple of weeks after Little Uzi Vert's Eternal Take release, uh, Trent hopped in the group text to say, quote, Little Uzi Vert is excellent trash, end quote. Uh, John, who uh, I'm going to poke fun at you uh, for a little bit, is not always the most prompt person on a group text, uh, responded within 0.5 seconds, no. <laughs> and, and I agreed. I agreed. I was like, no, he's not excellent trash. So, gentlemen, and we'll start with TC. Is Lil Uzi Vert excellent trash or excellent period? I swear every time academics post Uzi, he's the, he's on Instagram defending his music, you know, yelling at the haters, showing them, you know, what his career has bought him um yeah it's it's excellent trash i mean it's like it's it's zany it, it comes from it can only come from his particular mind but at the same time i mean there's like there's no food for thought there um you know he's he's very talented but i don't think he's uh i mean obviously he doesn't pl play by the traditional rules of what we know uh album construction a classic album to be but at the same time, I find it I find it grating to listen to after four or five songs, um, you know, because I, like I get it, you know, like you know you you fly in spaceships and um, whatever else the fuck. So um, <laughs> it's very creative, but you know, excellent trash. Before you jump in, John, is there a little bit of profiling for you going on in terms of like? 
uh, aesthetically, uh, maybe just because uh, I think a lot of people look at Uzi and his generation and they just kind of automatically write him off instead of listening. Um, I, I do think that, you know, the three of us have had, maybe more so me and John, but I think you're very deeply educated, but we've all had backpack moments, right? We've all had mm -hmm. moments where we were a little bit more snobby and like the more pure, but I also think we've all evolved into accepting like, you know what? A good artist is not only like rapping his ass off every freaking verse with like multi, like, so that, right? Right. So that's not Uzi and that's fine. Like we all appreciate a fucking Waka Flocka, mm -hmm. a guy who uh, called himself whack and like proclaimed that he wasn't like into like being lyrical. We all appreciated him. So is there some profiling going on with you? Absolutely and not. I think EXO Tour Life is one of the greatest songs I've ever heard in my life. Like, straight up. You know, like, if I had to put on, like, a eternal thousand song playlist, you know, with all of my favorite Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson songs and whoever else, that, you know, that, that's catchy, popular, that I've been listening to for over 20 years, that I would put that song in there. I mean, that, that's, that's a song that I can listen to and give I can, I can listen to that song enough times in a row to give him an album stream. I love that fucking song, and <laughs> it, it, it uh it, it it's it's it spoke to his potential, um, you know. But and I, I'm not even going to say he's regressing, you know. He's just, you know, a little all over the place. John, I said no in the group chat, so I felt like that was all I needed to do. Not really sure. <laughs> no, but you know, you know, in, all, in all seriousness, I mean, I you know, I think that to me, Uzi comes from the school of rappers like Future and Thug, who are just stretching the limits of what a lot of people who have very rigid classifications of what it means to be a great rapper. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying that that's you, Trent, because I don't think it is, but I do think that there are people that look at him and don't necessarily see that there are moments where he dips in the cadences that are more you know aligned with like historically east coast rapping and then he'll flip into something that's more uh you know rooted in an atlanta style and he's kind of this regionless artist who's developed his own thing that's part soundcloud but it's also part pop punk and just pop in general i mean he's interpolating Backstreet Boys songs and he's, you know, bringing melodies from kind of like, you know, Paramore style songs into his, his music. And I think that that's something that pisses a lot of people off because it doesn't feel like it's in line with, you know, real hip hop or, or the, the all over the place. Right. Well, it's not necessarily that it's just all over the place. I think a, a big part of it is that it's the influences of someone who grew up in a chaotic moment musically. Right. So a big part of, you know, being an artist in this generation is like you grew up with access to pretty much everything. You grew up in the MTV era. You grew up in the Internet era. Like you grew up with everything at your fingertips and your influences are, are you know, from so many different buckets. But his rapping ability is 
I, you know, if, if he weren't to be singing, if he weren't to necessarily be always leaning into the kind of like auto-tuned vocals, which make up some of his best songs, obviously, like you'd reveal a rapper that was actually just good at rapping, like plain and simple, a kid with a lot of personality, a kid who seems to like really rejoice in the, the craft of rapping, but someone who also like has really interesting and weird takes on like visual and imagery takes on kind of what it means to be like a young rich person. And also someone who seems kind of depressed by that. And I think that's, that's like the school that he comes from to me with future and thug where it's this sort of like this almost surrealist take on all of the things that we've already heard and the things that we know uh, that, that rappers tend to rap about loneliness and because they're at the top or b- suspicion about people, you know, coming for you because now you've made all this money or, you know, romance, things like that. The he puts this very bizarre spin on all of it that feels really personal and really unique to him. And that's why I think he's, you know, in, in some ways he's, he's an unparalleled artist from this generation. So, he is, he is, and I and I think as as he continues to evolve, as you say, I think he's going to continue to move farther and farther away from hip hop. <clears throat> I, I think he's excellent. Period. Right? Because if you look at the term "excellent trash," like it, it's a very specific lane. And look at the examples we named. Right? Shot Glizzy has still haven't found his footing. Like the highlight of his career, I would say or argue that it's his verse on Crew. OG Mako, don't really hear about him. Uh, Fetty Wap had a special moment. He still released some music that actually, if you're paying attention, it's still pretty good. Not bad. I love McConan, right? I love McConan. So everyone who falls into the excellent trash, it feels like they have a bit of a short shelf life. It's a moment, right? Um, Uzi has been around for half a decade already. Like his first tape that really got him notoriety came out in 2015. And he just came out with an album that sold, uh, what, almost 300,000 copies first week? So to me, if you're able to endure, like, the, like, like, like to, 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 to stick around with the climate shifting like that and actually, like, get bigger and, like, build on your fan base, like, I feel like you're excellent. Period. So... I agree. I mean, I'm not mad at it. And I don't dislike Uzi in the slightest. You You said what? I said, I'm not mad at the point of view, and I don't dislike Uzi in the slightest, you know, but I I do feel like he's probably the the king, you know, like if Shia Glizzy is excellent trash, then, you know, Uzi is his ruler. You know, I would would put them in the McConan is his ruler. Actually, Fetty Wap. Fetty Wap is his ruler. It's a rotating kingdom. Oh, my God. Sheesh. Yeah. Uh, Let's stick to Uzi, right? So, Eternal Take came out, and um, he sold 288,000 copies first week. That's a big leap from Love Is Rage 2. That album sold 135. There was also a three-year gap between those two releases, and I'm seeing that it it seems like... uh, I don't know if I'm ready to call it a trend, but it's the latest example of artists taking breaks between releases and making a leap in the process. Uh, Lil Baby did something similar with uh, his album, My Turn, sold almost almost 200,000 copies, and that was a big leap from his previous album. He took a break last year. He was around doing features. Uh, there was like uh, singles released through the QC compilation, but there wasn't like a project. and. 
uh, Lil Baby is someone that fed people every six months for like a good year and a half, like two years. Uh, Travis had a similar leap. I mean, the biggest of the leaps, but you know, there was a big leap between Birds in a Trap, Sing McKnight, and Astroworld. There was like a two year gap, I believe, and I think he sold maybe a hundred thousand. And that, what, what I think he sold five hundred and thirty seven thousand with uh, Astroworld. That's a big leap. So there's this narrative right now that everyone needs to keep feeding the beast and stay in people's face. And that only a few artists have the luxury of taking a break. But I think this pokes a hole in that narrative or theory that, you know, maybe this is another approach that people need to consider. Is this, is this a trend? Is this something that we need to look at closer and look at as an alternative, a successful alternative to uh, relentlessly releasing music? The thing I'll say about Uzi is something similar, I think, to Meek Mill, which is that over the course of, of you know, the, the time between albums, he stayed in the conversation. He had yes. his, his own hits. He would occasionally release, you know, a random record here or there, whether it was an official release or, or you know, just something like, like Free Uzi. But I think no matter what, over the last you know, three years, whether it was in controversy with him kind of battling his label or whether it was just, you know, the sort of general chatter, it never felt like Lil Uzi Vert went away. It felt like he people were waiting on music from him and there was growing demand. But I think he managed to maintain his presence as a meme or as a part of the conversation while also making music and building demand for his music. And, I, you know, I think also a lot of this is just that when you have an artist who was just starting to peak at the point that they put out their, their last record, you know, there's always going to be a, a, a lot of residual energy that goes into the next album. I think part of the question is if he's going to have a hit from Eternal A Take that's as big as some of the things he's put out before that carries him into that next chapter. I think that is a little bit, you know, harder to figure out because there was so much anticipation for whatever he was going to do next. I think that that, you know, that combined with the conversation around him led to a really big opening week. But, you know, now is it, whether he decides to put out more music after this or whether he's going to take another three year break, I, I don't know that it's necessarily an instructive example. I do think that it's worthwhile for artists to look at this and go, you know, maybe I don't need to be releasing a song every you know, two months or, or I don't, I don't know we're releasing at the same pace as the baby. And that works for some artists, right? Like the baby, you know, put out two albums in a year. I'm sure he's going to be putting out an album this year at some point, or at very least putting out some more music. I mean, that kind of strategy does work now because people are so, uh, are, are happy to be fed more music, even though they're inundated with music. Cause there's always just a need for, uh, you know, new content or that, that thrill of finding new things. But yeah, I think that some artists, especially those that are starting to reach a, a higher platform like Uzi was, could benefit to watch how he navigated the time before Eternal Attack and basically held back an album, whether it was intentionally or unintentionally, but held back an album to the point where like the demand was there, whether he had announced it previous to dropping it or not. Trent? Um, you know, I want to kind of steer a little way from, you know, dictating that there's a, a trend of how artists should be releasing music, you know, because I think it's a case-by-case -case basis. 
you know, we, we you know, uh, John uh, laid it out with Uzi, you know, like in the case of Travis Scott, you know, the the mystique has always worked for him. You know, the the art of mystery and uh, uncertainty. You know, I probably heard him say like four words last year. Um, and I probably watched that. I think I watched it when I watched it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I watched the documentary. And, um, you know, so, so but in the case of like, you like look at someone like Little Nas X who, who, uh, who announced that, you know, he was going to take some time out, you know, to escape burnout, you know, for himself and for the fans, you know, like, you know, when you get too big, you know, you can, you know, you can risk, uh, you know, rubbing people the wrong way or people turning on you. And that's what, that's what happened to Ja Rule. So, um, and then you, then you have uh, artists like Currency who can service uh, his 200K strong fan base uh, that streams his music every every month and, you know, drop a new project. So, you know, uh, I just think it really depends on what that particular artist's fan base are screaming. You know, like Uzi dangled uh, that this this last album in their face, you know, so much to where they were just losing their minds. So, uh, you know, it, 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 it got the impact that they wanted, uh, <clears throat> you know, but every, you know, every artist uh, has to be strategic. Otherwise, you know, they might have a flop no matter how good or bad the music is word so we're we're three months into the year uh you know last year we uh we had conversations about this felt like an off year uh in part because the juggernauts took a break but it just uh in comparison to like the momentum that we had uh starting around like 2015 it just felt like a little slower uh and not as eventful but this year so far we've had We've been talking about Uzi, fucking Jay Electronica dropped in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, Childish Gambino just surprised us. We had uh, Pop Smoke, A Boogie, Lil Baby, uh, Meg Thee Stallion, even Wayne and Eminem, Don Tolliver, who, by the way, sounds magical. We have to talk about him specifically at one point. <laughs> um, but it just feels like, obviously, there's a lot of you know, Twitter chatter about like, man, cancel 2020 because like, it, it just feels like very dark right now. But musically, it's been pretty bright. So is 2020 already a better year musically than 2019? I can't say that. You can't? I don't know. I don't know if no. I can say that either. Yeah. It's no, definitely been I, a more... It's been, it feels more unpredictable and exciting. And I feel like, you know, there are, there are things that are happening on both high levels and, and, and low levels that are really cool. I think 19, we talked about last year was exciting because it felt like 2014 where there was no obvious, like big superstar standout. You just had a lot of like interesting surprise records. Yeah, it was a free for all. And I think this year, you know, the, the playing field is back to featuring more of the the titans than it than it has before but you know you also still have this kind of this this residual uh you know records like roxanne popping last year and carrying over mm -hmm. into this year i mean artists like roddy rich who've, who've kind of you know cemented themselves a little bit last year but really has come into his own as as a, a full streaming and musical star this year so i, I think that there's We've our powers of prediction are have never been more limited 
in our ability to figure out what's going on, you know, next and what's going to be what we're going to really hit. But I think because of that, you know, some of these superstar projects are interesting and some of them are really good. But I'm I'm more curious about what's going to happen next that we have no uh, no bearing on, you know, the records that are going to come out of nowhere. So I think it's hard to say that it's a better year, but it's definitely just as exciting as 2019 was in terms of the unexpected. Yeah, I mean, it's it's eventful, but I mean, you you rattle off a lot of big names and I'd argue a lot of those albums are forgettable. Actually, the Makers of the Stallion album's whack. Um, Uh-oh. No, it was, it was bad. Easy. It, it was bad? bad? Yeah, it was bad. Like, I mean, I'd rather be your... Uh, Those are the opinions of Trent Clark. It was weird. The views and opinions of Trent Clark do not reflect the views and opinions of Carl Cherry and John Tanner's <laughs> or the Rat Pack podcast. We should get uh, you like a we should get you like a little a button that you can press every time you need to do that, just so you don't yeah. have to keep repeating that phrase. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. but um, like Jay Electronica, Pop Smoke, A Boogie, Lil Baby, good albums. You know, all good albums across the board. But you don't like Savage? What, you don't like Captain Hook? No. It's just garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that garbage? Whack records. So Savage, which is going off, and I'm not gonna reference TikTok because it's going off on TikTok, but like, but it's just in general, like it's in the top 50 on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's just going off. You think it's? Uh, you think it's? No, I no, I think I think once a I think once an artist can establish uh, establish momentum, you know, they can put out music that uh, fans will interact with, you know. But this 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 album is nowhere as good as Fever. Or Tina Snow, like it, it's a, it's a it, and and then when you factor in all the hoopla that that went around it, you know it was not worth the payoff. You know it was it was rushed, uh, half baked singles. You know the Tupac samples whack. We 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 need we need to hear more depth at this point. You know we we've like she like Megan Megan has blitzed through uh, the game at such a fast rate that you know back to my earlier point. You know we might establish burnout. You know. Like, and then to factor in all the albums I just named, like with everything that's going on, a lot of artists don't have the the ability to promote, shoot videos, you know, keep songs permitting. So you know, without a TikTok or uh, or something, then you know, you're not the the a lot of these a lot of these songs, singles, intentional singles are not going to get the longevity or the airplay that they would have in in, in that regard they won't be remembered the same way all right kind of feel like that a lot of these albums have already came and went unfortunately not don tolliver the angel no that's good that's good <laughs> the, angel. the angel by the way i kind of there's a little bit of profiling that goes on in the group text like if like it's so it's so funny because like I I don't even waste my time like asking you about Don Tolliver. I'm like John, what do you yeah. think about the Don <laughs> Tolliver project? And you jump in like I like him. <laughs> that was funny. You already you know you know your audience. <laughs> yeah yeah I do. All right, that's it. Wrap back episode five. I'm gonna try to sign off here without like a a a, 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 a stutter. Or a uh, uh, stumble <laughs> like like the last time. We should count off. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's all we got. This is Carl Cherry, John Tanner's, Trey Clark. Mm-hmm.